small town music. This is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song away, a song away, a song away. Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis. And I'm Kyle Dotson. And joining us in the guest co-host chair, don't say anything yet, sir. I want to see when the last time you were here was. I can look at my schedule here. I can see it's been way too long. Maybe I can't see. Maybe uh, this is Breaking Bad. Wasn't it the walk around episode? No, that's a long time ago. He was here with uh, he was here with Christy Stratton last time. Oh, I remember what it was. Hold on. When you say oh, with cars, oh, he's talking. I knew he couldn't wait. Cars. It's been since March. Car songs or whatever. It's been six. It'll be six months. That's crazy, David Wilde. Welcome back to Rock Solid. By popular demand, I haven't been here in a long time. But pe- people do send me emails. When's David coming back on? Oh, I, I meant the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> Also, uh, as opposed to on the Carolla show where I get <laughs> keep that liberal cuck off the air. <laughs> still, you still do Adam Carolla every Wednesday, though. Uh, not uh, I've been I've been traveling. I've been there in a while. I've, or you've been telling him you're traveling. <laughs> yeah, I've been liberal cucking elsewhere. <laughs> um, also taking full. Sometimes advantage. they say liberal cuck. Sometimes liberal kike. <laughs> I hope not. That's just my life is on the line. The razor's edge between liberal cuck. And I'm liberal sure cuck. that's a word that is bandied about the uh, the house of yes. white. Uh, also joining us, taking full advantage of the, hey, if you want to sit in, please sit in. Uh, Mike Beats, you're here again. Again. I almost feel, I almost feel like when, if, when Kyle eventually moves to New York City, you're going to have to be my producer. Learn. All right, cool. It's not hard. Look, he does it. Yeah. <laughs> he has so much stress from it. You got a stress pimple. Something. Yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what happened. I think it's the heat. It might be the heat. If you can't stand the heat, get the fuck out. Uh, David, back yes. to you. Uh, what are you currently, what <laughs> projects are you working on that you can talk to us about? Not your top secret projects, but your, your ones there. Uh, I'm working on the Environmental Media Awards. Who hosts are, that? Uh, this year, Jaden Smith, young Jaden oh. Smith, uh, young environmentalist. Is that at we're, we're honoring Natalie Portman, which I'm very excited oh, about. That's I, cool. I kind of love the Natalie Portman. And is uh, is that a pet project of Jaden's, or was he just hired to do that? He was an, he you know he's uh, he was actually honored last year okay. and got very involved and wanted to be a bigger part of it. Uh, you know, it's like it's fantastic organization. I got involved with it, I think, uh, with the association mm-hmm. EMA Emma uh, about I think eight or nine years ago. They honored Justin Timberlake, and he asked me to work with him on his acceptance speech. And they called me after and said. Why don't you do our show? So I've been doing it ever since. I love it. My kids have, you know, been there, a part of it. It's sort of, uh, and that was back when there was a sort of president who believed that there might be climate change. Mm-hmm. So now, <laughs> now more than ever, it seems like a good idea to sort of uh, fight the good fight. Do you think it would shut down halfway through? The show? Yes, <laughs> exactly. I think every show I'm doing is going to get <laughs> shut down. Uh, what are we doing here tonight? Okay, many people, I get constantly people sending me emails. When are we going to do Bob Dylan? When are we going to do a Bob Dylan show? And I brought this up to you, and you said you wanted to do Bob Dylan in the 80s. Why Bob Dylan in the 80s? All those people just groaned. Because <laughs> <laughs> I hate to give the people what they want. Like Bob Dylan, actually. That's very paradoxical. You know what? It's, uh, I have a genuine passion for the artist I love the most, uh, and Bob Dylan, a number one. I name my 
my son after him, you know, Andrew Dillon is my oldest okay. son. And he's literally the only person I know whose favorite era of Bob Dylan were both worshipers of the Christian Dylan. Uh, so the 80s Dylan is fascinating because he gets you the end of the Christian Dylan. Okay. And takes you into this where, you know, he goes from sin to trying to find salvation in the worst decade of music, the most horrible production era of music ever. Right. And I find it fascinating. I probably listen to Dylan's 80s work more than any other. Well, see, that's, uh, that's kind of how I am with the kinks. I love the 60s kinks. I love 70s kinks. But I listen to the 80s kinks a lot. It's I find, weird. Yeah, my favorite artist, uh, Frank Sinatra, I listened to the last years. I'm, I'm fascinated <laughs> when people are just trying... When you have these geniuses trying to survive the era and trying to fight against the shallowness of mm. their times, and the, nothing is shallower than the 80s. That's yeah. the, the shallow end of the pool. Everyone was swimming in the shallow end of the pool of the 80s. Now, for people listening at home, if you hear, normally we have the air conditioning off when we record, but so if you're hearing that come through a little bit, too bad because it's, it's, it's almost 9 o'clock at night and it's like 90 degrees outside. Yeah, Bob Dylan at the start of the 80s was singing about hell a great deal and it is hotter than hell in and i feel the, in i feel valley. i feel terrible complaining about the heat when people are struggling in in texas right now with the hurricane but uh, mother nature needs to like you know even it out for everybody yeah generally speaking i think we can all agree there's something going on in the weather there's, there's something, something going on big yeah, time yeah yeah, yeah. 9 bigly bigly 9 a.m this morning it was 91 degrees when i drove my daughter to school that's insane. Yeah, no. At 9 a.m.? This, this is crazy. End days, much like the, the times that days. Dylan wrote about. The end of days. That it's wonderful. not just a bad Schwarzenegger movie with a Guns N' Roses theme song. We went to see um, Terminator 2 in 3D last yep. week. Uh, the, they released it at the theater for like two days. Did it hold up? It does, but I've seen it. I've seen it so many times and that there's, there's no surprises. And it's I, like I'll never see it again. I'll never watch it again. Right. I never, but there's some movies that I've seen a million times and I can still watch, but I, I think, I, I think I'm done with Terminator 2. Wasn't the, was there a Terminator 2, was there a Guns N' Roses song in Terminator 2 as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, they had uh, You Should Be Mine. Right, You Should Be Mine. Today I heard the craziest thing, which was, things you just never think you're going to mm -hmm. hear, Axl Rose covered Wichita Lineman. Wow, how does that sound? Guns N' Roses in concert. It was great. I mean, the thing is, no one's going to sing it better than Glenn Campbell. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much the perfect yeah. vocal. But it was really, really good. I'm, I have to say, I'm like, a, I was an original Guns N' Roses fan. I used to know Axel once upon a time pretty well. Really liked him. He's crazy, but great. Uh, I can't believe that he's turned into the most responsible person. He's like fighting politically for the right things. He's showing up, fronting two bands being on time yeah. it's like who would have predicted that the president of the united states would be now less responsible than axel rose well, axel rose would be i let's let's say axel rose for president here's my take he on could it. be ours he's older now and he can't he can't, st he can't go on at two in the morning anymore he needs to keep regular grown-up hours himself I, your your perhaps. body slows down Body Could slows be. down, Kyle. Or they just change all his clocks. <laughs> yep, it's two. <laughs> it's he has two a, in the morning. <laughs> so he has an appetite for an early bedtime. <laughs> no longer destruction. Uh, now you have more. You have more songs on your list than I do. So I'm going to let you go first. We're going to go chronologically. And the first album that came out uh, in the '80s is Saved. Yes, uh, I will start with. Uh, and this is just. I was trying to think. You know when my '80s Dylan really sort of began, and I realized I was a 
kid in prep school in Connecticut, near Hartford, Connecticut, in a town called Windsor, and I paid a lot of money and took a bus into town to Hartford to see Bob Dylan on, uh, I believe it was the tour right between Slow Train Coming and Saved Coming Out uh, around that time, and he played the Bushnell Memorial uh, Hall, and I'm amazed at the way the internet is. You could just, you know, in 10 seconds, mm-hmm. I had the actual set list of the show I saw, which I'll never forget because we, I got there, I was by myself. There were church women handing out little mini Bibles on the front steps of the Bushnell. Uh, and then you came in and it was like a gospel little beginning. And then the last song on the set that I'm looking at on March, I'm sorry, May 8th, 1980 in Hartford was the song I'm going to play. It's a it's my, it's the first Bob Dylan gospel record slow train coming is to me maybe my favorite dylan record i think it's a masterpiece and that was 1979 but 1980 saved followed it up quickly another record produced by jerry wexler the great old soul producer and barry beckett uh who was a great musician from that sort of muscle shoals sort of sound the highlight of this album which was a little more there was more religiosity but the song pressing on is one of my favorite dylan songs of all time uh, so that is my choice. All right. But I'm pressing on to the higher calling of my Lord. Said I'm pressing on. And that could actually be the theme of the title of, you know, Bob Dylan in the 80s. He was pressing on against some craziness. Like, I think my own, I think he was sort of, uh, you know, he had run away from being Bob Dylan Mm -hmm. in the, you know, sort of, I think in the 60s, it sort of, he sort of, the motorcycle accident, he used things to sort of try to get away from being the, uh, martyred by his own celebrity i think it never you know even though he changed his name to bob dylan from robert zimmerman and he wanted it once he got it i think he was disinterested in being the spokesman for a generation he was robert cougar zimmerman for a while <laughs> exactly. correct? okay yeah exactly just wanted to clear yeah, that up you definitely got that right uh <laughs> although cougar thinks he's bob dylan no, he's you, not. yeah that's what that's sort of what he's sort good of, but he's not. yeah uh cougar's not even springsteen <laughs> yes uh <laughs> he's not even seager no, he's he's. I mean, I love I love yeah. his heyday, but yeah, I agree. Yes, he's a different thing. In any case, Bob Dylan. I think what we're going to find him sort of pressing on against all sorts of obstacles. A lot of them sonic, uh, as he sort of goes through a number of producers, a million musicians, trying to figure out how to find his way back to the music he really uh, wanted to be writing, which I think. You know, by the end of the decade, we'll get to an album where he really nailed it perfectly. Rolling Stone magazine at the time gave this three out of five stars. Agree or disagree? (laughs) Yes, I agree or disagree. (laughs) Not fair. I agree with myself. This album has two different covers. It has the one with the hands hands reaching up, which I like. And then it has like just a a who cares cover. Yeah, you know, it's funny. People are super uncomfortable with Bob Dylan christian era or whatever you know and he doesn't ever really talk about it yeah that way uh 
I believe my sense is that Bob Dylan and I've talked to him ever so briefly about mm. it, but I think, you know, it's sort of like, I think he believes in the literal truth of both testaments. Okay. I think he, uh, but I really think he just, it, he gave a quote once where he basically like to him, religion is music. Mm -hmm. Like his music is where he feels the spiritual truth. And I think that makes sense. Yeah. He's, he's deep roots in sort of, you know, folk and country and soul and, and gospel. And so all that, I think he just was like trying to get back to the root of it all. Well, the song that I picked off of saved is the show's called rock solid. So I had to pick a song called solid rock. That band he had great. is fantastic. And in, in concert, they were, ironically, they rocked harder than a lot of the rock bands that he had. Now, did he, uh, I'm seeing on the album, it was Jim Kel- Keltner and Duck Dunn and Danny And Spooner Cooch. Oldham. Were they on, did they tour with him? No, not all of them. Uh, Spooner did. Uh, uh, I'd have to look up for sure. It was mainly uh, a sort of more, I think it was more of the black musicians who toured mm-hmm. with him and sang with him. I think he might have been married to one of the backup singers. It's a there's always a little mystery with Bob, uh, but uh, Spoon. I remember Spooner was in the band, uh, but I'd have to look up who else was. And uh, I think it was a was a Tim Drummond. Yeah, I, I read the wrong. I was reading the wrong thing. Yeah, uh, d- the Tim Drummond, Jim Keltner. Uh, disregard the other names I mentioned. That was wrong. Yeah. Uh, but I, was, I think it was Spooner, and I think Tim may have been in the Spooner band. Spooner Oldham yeah. on keyboards, Fred Tackett. Fred Tackett, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Who I think was in Little Feet at some point. Now, do you have another song off Saved? Uh, I did not. I could pick one if you want. No, another no, no, one. no, no, no. I know that yeah. uh, a couple of these albums, you have more than one track, yeah, so I, I just wanted to make sure this one wasn't one of those. I especially love, there's a, one called Covenant Woman which I have occasionally sung to my wife when she's asleep, like liking to pretend I'm some very born-again religious dude. I would love to hear your singing voice. I'm pretty good. I do pretty good Bob. <laughs> the, um, if this Better al- than Bob did at certain points. If you games. buy this album now, which cover do they... It's too- it switched, I think it switched back and forth. I, don't, I, think there, I think there was a point where they thought the problem is the hand, and then they had sort of an onstage mm-hmm. image, and then I think they might have gone back to the hand. I like the original cover. Yeah, well, some people, you know, some people hate Jesus, not me. I like that. I'm, I'm big into looking at album cover artwork, and I, I, I like this next album cover, too. Oh. It's, it's, like, it's weird. I mean, it's like... Very a, pop art. Yeah, it's very pop art. Very Perfect. If you go to Amazon right now, it's the Who Cares cover. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Go to eBay and buy the right cover, people. <laughs> he, Bob won't get any money, but you'll get the right cover. So this album was uh, produced with uh, Chuck Plotkin. Well, it's actually more... Once you get into this record... Because the first two gospel records mm-hmm. were produced by, you know, Jerry Wexler, Barry mm-hmm. Beckett. Were, they, were, they were sort of the team. Uh, and actually, the first one was uh, Mark Knopfler was the guitar player. And, uh, you know, so Mark Knopfler would come back in a couple of records. We'll hear yeah, about yeah. him again. 
Shot of Love, it was a sort of mix of people. There was a guy, Chuck Potkin, who worked with Springsteen at certain points. Yeah. But also, the actual first track was done by, with Bumps Blackwell. And Bumps Blackwell was Little Richard's producer. I mean, Bob was just like, apparently, like, he just came in for a day and did two tracks and recorded two tracks, including the, uh, you know, the opening. So Shot of Love, the actual track, that's produced by Bumps Blackwell. And what song do you have for us? Uh, I picked the obvious one, Every Grain of Sand, and uh, it reminded me hearing it again. This is, to me, one of the great, great Dylan songs. Now, as, a, as, a, as a, someone who's not a Bob Dylan aficionado, why yeah. is that the obvious choice? Oh, well, at the time, this record was not that well-received, but everyone, and this would become a trend, everyone would pick one song, usually at the end of the record, where Bob would be a little bit more, uh, give you the classic ballad. There's okay. one coming up. Uh, we'll get to another one on Empire Burlesque where he sort of stripped it down to just his essence. And this one, I remember very vividly, I was so struck by pressing on in every grain of sand that years later when I first moved here, I got very close to convincing Quincy Jones. I had an idea for a record, Ray Charles, who's my other, like maybe my favorite singer of all time, but I'd interviewed him and sort of talked about Dylan, I think, for a second. Uh -huh. So then I pitched Quincy Jones, who he was on, uh, Ray was on Quincy's label. I wanted to produce a record called Bob and Ray, which would be <laughs> Ray Charles singing the gospel Bob mm -hmm. Dylan. At the time, Ray wanted to do like a jazz recording, which I think never really even mm -hmm. got done for the label. But I'm convinced that would be the greatest record of all time. If you had like a picture of Bob they, they and would, Ray. You think they would call it, but they wouldn't have called it Bob and Ray. That was my working title. That's... As the executive producer, I would insist on it. <laughs> you can see how far that went. All right, so let's hear uh, Every, grain, Every of grain of Sand. There's a dying voice within me Reaching out somewhere Toiling in the danger And in the miles of despair And that had the sort of, it has an echo for me of like blowing in the wind where it's the big grand philosophical statement elegantly stated in that way we wanted Bob Dylan to do, which again, like the, the theme that people don't quite get with Bob Dylan is how much, you know, if you, when I spoke to him, it was very clear that like this is a guy who spent years running away from people who were like asking him to like, hey, Bob, stop the war or Bob, you know, people right. looked at him in, you know, in a crazy way, you know, and he's a Jewish kid from Hibbing, Minnesota, who, you know, wanted to ran away with like wanted to be little Richard, which yeah. is why he got bumps Blackwell uh, and, you know, and who sang with I think toured with Bobby V, you know, he. Uh, you know, he, he just wanted to be a rock and roller and then fell in love with folk music at college and fell under the sort of influence of Woody Guthrie. And then, you know, so he did these political social statements. But once he got perceived as the spokesman for a generation, I think after a year or two, it freaked him out. Because he didn't want that. 
Well, he just didn't. I don't think any human play music. Yeah, you know, if you think about it, the Beatles had that. But like what Ringo always says to me is, there were four of us. We could divide, and we had some people to share all that with. Yeah, yeah. But Bob Dylan got it all on his shoulders, and yeah, it, that's a lot of weight. He did not, and yeah, yeah. He only weight he liked was the one that the band sang. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like that he doesn't. Uh, the, these albums aren't overblown. Like ten songs, nine songs. He just keeps it. I mean, I think that's the, you know. Well, one of the not, themes that you'll find of Dylan in the '80s is, you know, this is the era when people were overproducing, overspending, mm-hmm. and like you'll still get into having to deal with some of that as we go through these records. But like, that's not Bob Dylan. I think is sort of like. You know, Neil Young, if you'll read about him, he thinks, you know, the TV camera steals your soul. I think Bob thinks the recording studio even can steal your soul. Like part of him would prefer, I think, doing field recordings. You know, he loves to walk. I think he'd rather. In fact, I just uh, tweeted at Wild About Music uh, earlier today. I might have deleted it. So maybe. I'll, but like there's this footage from the 80s uh-huh. of Bob that was shot for some Van Morrison TV special of them in Athens like sitting on a hill doing crazy love and then they do two other songs. Oh, that's amazing. And it's just the two of them and Bob is just sort of chiming in with Van. It's crazy. <laughs> and I remembered seeing seeing it like sometime, you know, uh, on television. It ran on like some PBS special. Mm-hmm. But like I think Bob just, Dylan, does not feel comfortable with like, even with the greatest producers who you'll see like uh, Daniel Lanois who comes up he's got a restlessness he does not want to be produced yeah and yet when he produces himself or when he you mean, Jack, of, you mean Jack Frost well Jack Frost later yeah there's actually Street Legal which precedes this is one of my favorite Dylan records and it's like the worst sounding record of all time <laughs> and it's fantastic because it's like it's so muddy it's like they added like they must have pushed a button that said molasses it just sounded like there's molasses in the recording studio Rolling Stone magazine only gave this three and a half stars. What do they know? <laughs> By the way, you brought up Neil Young, and I just want to let everyone know Neil Young released three albums since the beginning of this record. <laughs> so go out to your uh, local uh, place and go, go online and get a Ponyo player. And then you Ponyo? Can I don't think it's, it's Ponyo. That's Pono, right. It's Pono, whatever. Pono. No, you can, you can a, get a Ponyo. You can get a Ponyo. Pono went out of business, but yeah, Ponyo. I mean, Ponyo, you know. yeah, that's a, a Ghibli makes those. Did you buy a Ponyo? No. A Ponyo? No. It looks like a Toblerone. Yeah, exactly. Take a bite out of it. Yes. Uh, okay, the song I picked. See, I think I picked the obvious choice. I picked The Groom Still Waiting at the Altar. Well, just, you know, for the record, this mm-hmm. wasn't on the album originally. You know, it was an Ooh. outtake that was added to the DVD. It was sort of, uh, and now it's on the record. But just. Yeah. It says uh, it was originally the B side of Heart of Mine. Right, which is a cool sort of first song, which has Ringo on it. Uh, it was included on cassettes, but not the original vinyl. Right. Okay, good. Cool. This rocks. Yeah, yeah, I like this. Playing in the ghetto With my face in the cement Heard the last moan of a boxer Seen a massacre of the innocent Fell around for the light switch Fell around for her face Been treated like a farm animal I'm a wild goose chase West of the Jordan East of the Rock of Gibraltar Yeah, this was a period when, and this is true of a lot of major artists, they don't, they sort of, when they write something too close to what people want, they 
don't want to give it to him yeah. on some level. Like mm-hmm. that's Highway 61, Bob Dylan. That sounds like yeah. classic, like what people wanted. And even though he did it, he didn't somehow had was reluctant to put it on the record at first. And then it finally now is included. It's great. That rocks. Just want to let everyone know I'm enjoying all these songs so far. I've, I've, I've been pleasantly surprised. With We're having what, a great no with what happened when I when I explored these 80s albums. This is I, this is some of my favorite music of all time. All right. And it's how I, I survived the 80s listening to this stuff. Uh, While you were listening to uh, Kajagoogoo. I, no, I never, see, I never listened to that. Kajajuju, kind of I was listening I never listened to that kind of 80s music. Okay. You were too shy? I was listening to High Infidelity. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, this, is, uh, this is Infidels, produced by Bob Dylan and Mark One of my Knopfler. favorite albums ever. Yeah. It's, it's, and, I, and again, I love this. This is a cool album cover. He looks, just looks badass on this. Oh, this is a great album cover. Also, Bob Dylan fought his producer on this one. He, you know, he, he actually asked, among the people he considered, I think, were Frank Zappa. I'm trying to think who else. A few other. That wouldn't have worked crazy, out. Crazy, no, crazy yeah. ideas for who should produce him. And then he ended up with Mark Knopfler. Which seems like a, a nice fit. Well, Mark had already played with him mm-hmm. on Slow Train Coming. And all you have to know is, eventually, Bob sort of took it back. So the record, as we heard it, was really Bob letting someone else mix. Like, and he let his engineer just sort of do a mix. And Knopfler initially was sort of brutally disappointed. But uh-huh. the rest of us, it's a great album. And this, look, at this, look at this band. Uh, Sly Dunbar, Robbie Shakespeare. Sly and Robbie. Uh, Mick Taylor. From the Stones, my favorite Stones guitar player. Yeah, that's a great era of the Stones, man. Mick, uh, Mick Taylor. Can't have two mix in the band, though, I guess. Is that a racial thing? Is I that hope not. Uh, this is... Great positive uh, reviews on this album across the board. Rolling Stone magazine gives it four and a half out of five. Yeah, no, I remember yeah. this was just age-wise. This is like I. This was major to me. This was sort of my golden era of Bob. All right. So, what's your song? First song off Infidels. Well, I could pick the whole album. Uh, I love Joker Man, which people know. Uh, I'll pick one that just because it has a little story that I can name drop to. Okay. Uh, I pick "License to Kill," which is one of the this is one of the things about this record is you often can't figure out it, you you have to sort of decipher what Bob is talking about because he was getting into some interesting sort of psychological and political stuff. Like were the lyrics included with these albums? Uh, I generally, Bob does not do that. I believe uh, he, he, some I, artists need to. I yeah, think. Well, I think like for instance, "Neighborhood Bully." There's still people arguing whether it's a Zionist, pro-Zionist statement or something else. It's been debated for, I'm sure there's Hebraic, Talmudic uh, appraisals of uh, appraisals of that. Uh, License to Kill was uh, one that I fell in love with when uh, I actually covered for Rolling Stone the 40th anniversary Bob Dylan tribute concert, which was, I think, 92 after this. But uh, Tom Petty, certainly a disciple of... Dylan absolutely and I'll have a story about that because I can name drop again sure uh, but Please Dylan uh, at that show Petty and the Heartbreakers did License to Kill and I fell in love with the song Lou Reed did another song I think an outtake uh, called Foot of, Pri- uh, Foot of Pride but this is License to Kill the original by Bob Dylan and this is the shortest song in the album three minutes and 31 seconds man thinks cause he rules at us he can do with it as he please and if things don't he will Oh, man has invented his doom First step was time 
there's a woman on my block She'll just sit there as the night grows still She'll say, who gonna take away his lifetimes to kill Now, one of the interesting things about this uh, album is at the time, there were so many, because he, you know, there used to be so much rock criticism, all of which I read. And, and people, wrote. And wrote. Uh, <laughs> I was, well, I was just about coming into the picture at this point. But uh, one of the crazy, there was like a lot of things like, is Bob Dylan anti-moon exploration? <laughs> is he like, because that, that lyric there, I think there's another lyric. Like, I think he's anti-NASA. Uh, <laughs> there was his political, uh, so it was like, is he pr- he's pro-Israel? And anti-NASA, that was sort of the, there was a lot of analysis of that. Uh, that's just, this album is full of interesting quirks. And that's a very cool, quirky song. But I recommend you listen to the Tom Petty and Heartbreakers version too. Of License to Kill. Where would I find that? On the Bob Dylan 40th anniversary show, which was re-released on even DVD, I think, with liner notes. They took my liner notes and Bill Flanagan, another great, better critic than me. But the two of us, we there was a... We did notes for it. I did the original, and that's where Bob Dylan uh, gave me the classic advice: no adjectives. So you write your notes, but no, just nouns and verbs. Which I I've said before. I think even on this show, that's one of the secrets of Bob Dylan as a writer. He doesn't overuse adjectives. And he, he, and so did you obey? I there's almost no adjectives. There might be one or two. Uh, there's maybe in a yeah. There's like I think 500 words and two adjectives. Bob Dylan's also making uh, making videos at this time, trying to get some MTV play. I think was it Paul Schrader? Who was doing them? I'm trying to remember. I, I don't know. Let me see. I think Jokerman might have been uh, Bob Paul Schrader, if we look it up, the filmmaker. Uh, I can't. Uh, it's not on Wikipedia, but uh, let's hear Jokerman because that's the song. Is that what that you I picked? P- I did pick that. Great yeah. song. I do love this song. Long song, six over six minutes. So Kyle, you're uh, how are you doing with this? Is this is are you okay with this? Yeah, I'm fine with this. What about Dire Straits? How was that? That was horrible. <laughs> one of the worst. Uh, if you listen to that song, I think one of the things that and this is the albums that people love of Dylan, I think are the ones where he gives them an echo of his past. And as an artist, he he's naturally has this, you know, restless spirit which doesn't allow him to do it all the time. He wants to keep moving, pressing on. But this song, if you to me I was I always heard Joker Man is like part two to Mr. Tambourine Man. It's like the, uh, you know, it's like, is he Mr. Tambourine Man? Mm-hmm. Is he the one, you know, beating that tambourine? Or is he the Joker Man? It's just, I, and if you listen to the lyrics, even, you know, in these supposedly his not great decade, I think he's the best writer in history. I think he's, and that's, I don't even mean that just the best songwriter, lyric writer. I, he's my favorite writer of all time. I think he's so interesting and in a weird way, as he got weirder in the 80s, he got mm-hmm. even better because would come up uh, 
with a song that he wrote with Sam Shepard in a little while, which to me, it's like, those are two great minds mm-hmm. that they're probably two of the greatest minds ever sent out to try to write a quote-unquote a pop song, and they end up with this epic. With an, we'll get yeah. to that. And Rock and Peace, Sam Shepard. Rock and Peace, Sam Shepard. Uh, then after this, he releases a live album called Real Live. Can I play one more song? Produced, yeah, of course. Do you uh, mind? No, no. You, no, whatever's on your list. You're okay. cool. Uh, this is, we, we, I was going to play an outtake. By the way, just so you know, for Shot of Love, one of my favorite songs of all time, you can go search it out, is Caribbean Wind, which uh, appeared only later on Biograph and on a lot, 8 million bootlegs. Uh, on Infidels, there's an outtake that has become a classic, Blind Willie McTell. But I'll play a song, one of the sort of better-known songs from the record yeah. is a song called Sweetheart Like You. I think there's a video for this, yeah, too. Yeah, there is a crazy bad video, if yeah. I remember. It's like oh, it's literally like a an old waitress sweeping up in a diner and Bob <laughs> singing to her. Crazy. I, I, have to, I haven't seen it since. That's, that's from memory from the 80s. But the song itself is fantastic to it, me. It's a really great song. And I think it's also an example of like, Bob had game. Like women love Bob Dylan. Like you know, not just Joan Baez. He but looks like a stud on this album cover. Oh no! Listen, he's he he was a cool looking dude, and I always hear this song as like this is what Bob Dylan sounds like. When he's trying to pick you up in a in a club. All right. The boss ain't here. He got north for a while. So this could be a Dire Straits song. Got the best of him. Well, but it's that's because every Dire Straits song could have been a Bob Dylan song. Yeah. But I could hear Knopfler singing yeah. this. By the way, that's a cute hat. Right, it's a little bit like um, so Private Dancer. Yes. But what's a sweetheart like you doing in a dump like this? You know, I once knew a woman who looked like you. She wanted a whole man, not just a half. Sings the hell out of it. used to call me people sweet who think daddy he can't sing. I was only a child. You I don't like those people. It's like he's well, he's a hard pill to swallow live. In order to deal in this game, got to, to make the queen. But I, I saw him. I saw him up in Seattle at the Bumbershoot Festival, and watch your language. <laughs> it it literally took us like two or three minutes to figure out what song we were listening to. That is to the uneducated ear that can happen. <laughs> well, then everyone around me was uneducated. <laughs> Um, you were up there for a comedy festival, though, right? That's true. You think he was doing it for laughs? Oh, I thought you, I meant the uneducated. Oh, that's true. <laughs> the uh, so yeah, he follows this up with a with a real live uh, live album produced by Glenn Johns. It's weird. Why wouldn't he use Glenn on a studio album? He uses him on a live album. There is no rhyme or reason. Yeah, to, it's crazy. But the like the Lord, Bob moves in mysterious ways. So then we jump to 1985, Empire Burlesque. Again, I like this album cover too. I like these Bob Dylan album covers. I don't know why that matters. I'm just putting it out there. I think it's a theme on this show. Album covers matter to you. Ever since we did our uh, bad album cover episode. Even before that. This is actually, uh, some people don't like this record as much. It, uh, this is probably the most I think you can ever hear him trying to have a hit is on this record. And he, he knew, like what he said in the previous uh, Infidels, dump like this, I think he was beginning to think the music industry slash world was a dump. He was, this is where he was becoming unhinged from society and like his values and his interest in music and expression were dividing with the MTV universe. Yet, he had a big record deal and the record industry was so big that he was trying to, how, cl- 
how much can he be Bob Dylan and play the game enough to maintain the brand of Bob Dylan to a certain extent? He, he is never, like Springsteen, he has never not been on Columbia Records. Uh, no, that's not true. That's not uh, true? Planet Waves, he left for, uh, David Geffen took him away Are you sh- for really? one record. Look it up, Planet Waves. Yes, he, he actually was uh, left for one record. Uh, I'm going to check that out. And uh, I'm trying to think if the live album after that, I think that it came back to... Planet Waves and Before the Flood were yeah. released on Asylum and then reissued wow. by Columbia. David Geffen okay, was able to bring him away for a wow. record and, a, and the great live record with the band. Uh, but yeah, that's the only time. Well, Steve, I've, I've probably only seen that on, on CD where it's still on Columbia. So I had no idea. That's why David Wilde's here, everybody. He knows that's that. That's the only reason why. It's the only reason, you know, because Mike wanted to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> Said, uh, I, he wants to go to school tomorrow and the kids are debating. He's like, wait, wait, wait guess who I met last night? Is that, what, you, is that what you're telling? Live. <laughs> tell, me about, yeah, tell me about Bob Dylan. <laughs> okay, so Infidels, what song do you have off oh, no. of Infidels? No, I'm we're sorry, Empire, Empire Burlesque. Burlesque. Yeah. I'm well, all over the board. As I was saying, Emperor, Empire Burlesque was interesting because he worked with like... Uh, Every great musician in the world. There were like, you know, people from the E Street Band, from the Heartbreakers. Yep. Mike from, Campbell, Howie Epstein, your friend. My friend Howie, Howie Epstein, Epstein Rock and Anton Peace. Fig. Uh, uh, everyone. Keltner. Sid McGinnis. The Dave Stewart. Mick Taylor. It's just crazy. Robbie Shakespeare. Ronnie Wood. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, he was doing, at this, this was the era when he was doing a bunch of different sessions in a bunch of different places, trying to figure a way to do what he probably was uncomfortable doing, which was trying to make a record that could compete in a crazy and increasingly shallow marketplace. Uh, and then Arthur Baker, who was sort of a great you know, dance remix guy, yep. uh, but an unlikely collaborator for a little period here. Uh, and there's great stories about that. Uh, there was a podcast recently, I think on Rolling Stones podcast, mm-hmm. where Arthur Baker told some crazy stories that I'd never heard. But I think, ironically, even Arthur Baker, the sort of hip modern one was like we really could use something at the end of this that just strips it all down to your essence and he didn't have anything like that so he went back to his hotel as he's told it and who knows if this is exactly true but he said that he went back to his hotel and he saw like a a hooker in the hotel like in the lobby or in the hallway who was like a girl with champagne and wearing a mink with and but with very dark eyes like she had been beaten or something oh no and that was the inspiration to write one of his greatest songs of all time this haunting unbelievable song that uh on the after all the sort of craziness of this record which has you know uh tons of production he strips it down to this classic song called dark eyes closes out the album a cock is crowing far away and another soldier's deep in prayer Some mother's child is gone astray She can't find him anywhere But I can hear another drum Beating for the dead that rise Whom nature's And all I see are dark eyes. So beautiful to me. Yeah, I had never heard that song before. That's a good song. That's fantastic. 
But I like Empire Burlesque, and I think that's one record. You know how people have done sort of, uh, you know, remixed versions or stripped down versions of records. That would be one yeah. where I would love to hear, like, an all alternate version of Empire Burlesque, which is sort of, like, for instance, there's a version of uh, When the Night Comes Falling from the Sky. Is that the name of the song? That there's an original version uh, with like the E Street Band, and then there's this. Arthur Baker made a slightly more what's been called the disco version, which is on the record. But in any case, it really rocks. It's actually uh, Bob Dylan has always said that all on the Watchtower, like he basically does the Jimi Hendrix version now because Jimi Hendrix made that so much better. Mm -hmm. uh, that song, When the Night Comes Falling, uh, it sounds to me like it's sort of like it rocks kind of like a little Hendrixy. Let me ask you this about seeing Dylan live. The last time you saw him was that in Italy, in Rome at the Roman Basso of the Basso Carcala. And you said so that good. was one of the best times. You I don't ever know saw if him. I can see. I used to see him constantly, mm -hmm. and I it was so good. I have trouble. I, I don't know if I'm ever my son and I, my wife, my other son, but my son who's named after him, who's a Dylan fanatic. We just were like, we're not going to get better my than son, this. my wife, my other son. Well, only because <laughs> there's my other son doesn't like Bob Dylan. No, he likes that uh, that atmospheric EMD yes. music. Right? He's like he's a kid. Yeah, he's a child. Yes, who just started college. Yes. Uh, okay. If someone out there is a casual Bob Dylan fan, they go to see Bob Dylan live. Are they going to be happy with the set list they hear? Um, there have been years when it was a tougher question. I actually think in the last couple of years, he has had a different, I think he, there's a contrariness to him. There's a perverseness and kind of like a mercurial thing that for years, it seemed like he was fighting his own band. Like he would try to surprise them. And then it seems like a year or two, a few, in the last few years, he settled in with this band and actually it's a much more rehearsed show. It's a much more settled set list with a few variations. And I think he's been better than, I mean, based on the show in Italy, I think he's in great form. But what do I know? Let me ask you this, because I forget. What was the, the, the venue that's across the street from Staples Center? It's the Microsoft now, but what did it used to be called? Is it, it wasn't the Nokia was theater. It the co, is it the Nokia? Nokia. I think it was, it was the Nokia. Yeah. Okay, that'll that'll I'm gonna that'll come into play uh, in a, in a bit here. Okay, but let me play uh, let me play my song. I picked uh, the obvious choice, and this actually this video was directed by Paul Schrader. This is Schrader. This is tight connection to my heart.
great. So good. That's uh, like around this time, Bob Dylan is sort of like trying a million things, throwing things against the wall. Like I believe that was originally a song called Someone's Got a Hold of My Heart or something like that from Infidels. And it's like he retooled things constantly trying to figure out the right version and almost never putting the best version out. Uh, but I still like that version uh, very much. And do you have another song off of uh, this album? I don't. I, uh, I, was, I kept moving on, pressing on. Of the ones we've listened to so far, if someone said, I- I'm going to buy one of these, which one should I buy? Uh, of the records to date, Infidels. Infidels. For normal people. That would be the one for people to, for normal people, yes. that would be the one. Okay. Yes. I and I, which is a song on that. I and I say buy Infidels. Mike, do you own any of the albums we've listened to so far? Infidels. Oh, there you go. Mike's like normal. It or, like Mike, it or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike's very normal. Mike says infidels, and Mike is an infidel. So that and he ri- he rides a he rides a, mo- a hog. He rides a motorcycle. So it's a don't mess with him. Italian yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right, we move on to uh, knocked out, loaded. Tell me about this. This seems like a, a hodgepodge of stuff. This is a fascinating mess with the emphasis on mess. This is like. This could have you, you would have predicted a great record around now because he sort of now like he tours with Dylan. Sorry, Dylan tours with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, mm-hmm. like which seems like a perfect band. Which let me do another name drop. Okay, uh, years later in the '90s, when I got to really there was a period where I was talking to both of them a little bit. Uh, I did a cover story on Bob on Tom Petty for Rolling Stone, and. I made the request, which was a crazy request. I called Dylan's office and said, I'd love to talk to Bob about Tom because people... Is this the cover where they're on the cover together? No. This was a cover of just Tom. Okay. uh, And uh, because that was when they were, I guess, on the road together. Okay. And this was years later when I was around the time of uh, Into the Great Wide Open. Okay. uh, After Full Moon Fever. It's 1991. Now they're in the Wilburys together. So that was... They were Wilbury brothers. Okay. Uh, So... uh, which we should get to Wilbur's eventually. We will. Uh, so I asked um, if Bob would talk about Tom. And I put the story to bed and never, hadn't heard from Dylan. I went to a motel and I was supposed to write Aerosmith liner notes in a motel room over the weekend. I get the call saying, Bob, will talk to you. I call Rolling Stone. They said, we'll hold the presses. Like literally that hold the presses thing, mm-hmm. they did it back then for a, one Bob Dylan quote. And so <laughs> I ended up sitting in a motel room in Malibu uh, and there's a, there was a phone in a room. There was no cell phones then. I couldn't leave the room. I couldn't do anything. Yeah, you, you couldn't, yeah. no. I just waited for the phone for two days and then Bob Dylan calls. He goes, uh, David, it's Bob. And I go, Bob, it's uh, great. Uh, you know, as if it's like a normal thing for us to be <laughs> chatting on the phone. And uh, I go, Bob, I want to ask you about uh, Tom, because Tom, people always say that he's he reminds them of you. And do you hear the? Do you hear? Does he sound like you to you? And he goes, Me? No, no. You know, you got the wrong Bob. He sounds like Bob Marley. He sounds like Bob Marley. He no, not he sounds like. He's like Bob Marley. And it, I put that in the article, going, "What the hell does he mean?" That's so. It's the typical Dylan thing. Like, what does he mean? But like with a lot of things with Dylan, he means something. And I believe years later, I I thought, I get it. It's a pot joke. He probably. I think he means Tom smoked weed like Bob Marley. Yeah. Uh, but I put it in, and it was fantastic. I loved that. You know, because Bob didn't even do interviews for his own work then, but he was mm-hmm. willing to call me up and give me a pot joke. 
Yeah, when I th- I think of Tom Petty, I always think of R- Roger McGuinn more than Bob Dylan. Fair enough. Right? Yeah. Right. He's like their love child. <laughs> yes. Okay, Knocked Out Loaded. Uh, this album's about 35 minutes long. It's a strange, weird Eight mix. Eight songs. Yeah, there's a song written with Petty. Yeah. Got my mind made up. There's, but there's the song. A song written with Carol Bayer Sager. Yeah, Under, under Your Spell. Is that what it's called? Yeah, do you think they slept together? Uh, no. Damn it. Uh, I remember when he did a song with Michael Bolton. Uh, he did yeah, a song. Steel with, Bars. He did a song with, uh, uh, around the same time, Gene Simmons. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yes. he did. Uh, but in any case, I think Bob was just sort of perversely doing things in that era. Uh, but the, one of the great things he did was a song that he had done earlier with Sam Shepard had actually been on the road for the Rolling Thunder tour, sort of as a scribe writer who he actually mm-hmm. did a book about it at the time. And I think he was Patti Smith's girlfriend. I'm sorry. Patti Smith was his girlfriend at the time. And Sam Shepard was along for the ride for that tour. So they knew each other. They were friends going back that long. But in the intervening years, they wrote a song which was originally, I believe, called New Danville Girl. That was the original version, but by the time it ends up on Knocked Out Loaded, taking up however many, what is it, how many minutes is it, 11 or... 11 minutes even is what I'm reading. 11 minutes on Knocked Out Loaded, and those are the best 11 minutes you'll find on Knocked Out Loaded. There's this incredible song called Brownsville Girl, which is like... And we played this on Mike's uh, Minnesota episode. Oh, right, 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 exactly. But we'll hear it again, and this is the song I picked off this too, because I don't really like any other songs on this. It is a fever dream of a song, and it's like... Yeah, so let's hear a let's little bit. Let's hear all of Brownsville Girl. Ruby was in the backyard hanging clothes. She had a red hair tied back. She saw us come rolling up in a trail of dust. She says, Henry ain't here, but you can come on in. He'll be back in a little while. Then she told us how times were tough and about how she was thinking of bumming a ride back to from where she started. But she changed the subject every time money came up. She said, welcome to the land of the living dead But you can tell she was so broken hearted She said, even the swap meets around here are getting pretty corrupt Crazy How far you all going? Ruby asked us with a sigh We're going all the way Till the wheels fall off and burn We didn't even get to the chorus, but I don't know how long we have to listen until it gets there. You know, what I really think about Bob Dylan in this period, I'm, I find it really moving because this is a guy who was on fire in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Literally, songs are pouring out of him. Like, listen to Bond on Bond. He's sitting there typing these masterpieces one after another in the studio and recording them. And what I find moving about Dylan in the 80s is I think inspiration had begun to dry up. And, you know, he's, if you read his book Chronicles, you can sort of get the sense of this. Is like it, the muse has not always been with him. And what, what I hear, I, I love hearing the struggle to be Bob, like yeah. to be up, to live up to his own standards. And often failing, like on Knocked Out Loaded, it's kind of a piece of shit record. And yet there's these moments that make it all majestic. And so 
like I don't think I go back and listen to it much, but I do go back to this song all the time. Yeah, I like this song a lot. But yeah, when I was going through and listening to this clips of this album, I was like, eh, nothing's really grabbing me. I'm gonna break. I'm gonna break the rule that I told David that he couldn't break. But I'm gonna. I'm gonna go to 1991 because you brought it up. Let's hear what happens when a guy with a seven octave range named Michael Bolton writes a song with Bob Dylan. think based on having interviewed Michael Bolton and talking to Bob I'm pretty sure when they wrote this song that meant Michael Bolton came over played him this song and Bob went yeah that's good let's do that, that that's 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 let's have co-written that one I can't I can't imagine those two guys in a room together like I'll take the publishing on that one <laughs> like just I know because I mean at that point Michael Bolton my, was, selling, he was selling five million albums or yep. something like that crazy yeah around that same time I uh interviewed Michael Bolton and then shortly after that I interviewed Ray Charles and this was when Michael was a big deal. And How had, was Michael Bolton? Because I, I, I think now he has a sense or, of humor, but back then I think he was right, very Right, that serious. Shatner effect where now he's in on the joke. Yeah. Where now, I actually, for one thing, I actually, all kidding aside, I think like when he was the rock singer, Michael Bolton, mm-hmm. I really like that stuff. Yeah, I, I, like I, like, I, 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 I can go, I'm, I'm, all, I'm cool yeah, with that. Yeah, Fool's Game. And, I love Fool's yeah. Game. So, and he's, that's right up your alley. Oh yeah, I do like uh, that stuff. And I kind of like him. I mean, I have crazy stories. I remember going... One of my first dates with my wife, I went to the Ivy on Robertson, mm-hmm. and he was there. Restaurant with, drop. Yes, a restaurant drop. And he was there with Kenny G, and uh, and Kenny G, he goes. Uh, it's like it's like a, it's like a dream. You see those a two together. Dream of yeah, the, yeah. Just, uh, all that hair at a table, or, or a nightmare. It could be the, <laughs> but I do remember very vividly because I was uh, brought over to their table, and Kenny G goes. Hi, David. I'd like to introduce you to the future Mrs. G, who's now the future Mrs. X. G. I thought he meant he was. I thought he was introducing you to Michael Bolton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Michael and I are engaged. Uh, he just no. orders for Michael Bolton, and yeah. he'll have a salad. Now, now, Michael Bolton. He's like six. He's a tall dude, right? He seems like he's tall. He's taller than me. Well, everyone's taller than me and you, uh, but he seems like tall. Yeah. Yeah. He's a. He was a good-looking guy. Yeah. He was also weirdly around that same time. I remember this is a crazy story. He used to babysit for Paula Abdul. Now look it up. You could look it up. He's a manny. He was a manny for Paula Abdul, and I remember like, oh, this is yeah. There's some crazy story about that that I've now forgotten. He was also a wet nurse for Lita Ford. <laughs> yes, <laughs> a lot of people don't know that. He was a debate coach mm-hmm. for Kajagugu. He, he's five nine. That's it. Yeah. Well, that's still taller than me, but I thought he was like six foot four or something. He's only an inch taller than Brian Adams. 
Okay, where, where are you? What, <laughs> Two what inches taller you than Kenny G. It's just Google. Just people also searching for it. All right, that's strange. <laughs> All right, uh, I had the same song also, as I said. So now we're we're to down in the groove, correct? Oi, we're off. Oi, oi. <laughs> Would this be the worst of the ones we're? You know what? We're getting to a point where, and this is really interesting. Um, he was not even writing writing for these records so he really started doing a lot of covers like he was really in a weird way it was like the albums feel like they were done under protest like they were like he was a hostile witness at his own testimony uh they're just weird records and yet there's always something that redeems it for me Mm -hmm. this is around the time when he did a he got sort of involved in the grateful dead and i think he actually learned a lot from the dead about like their sort of alternate business world, their sort of alternate touring ways, their ways of sort of working around the industry and being their own little brand. And what's weird is the, the live record with the dead, I never really liked that much, but there was a positive it's influence. It's a cool album cover though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> super cool album cover. But he also started writing, a, he wrote a couple songs with Robert Hunter, who's one of the famous co-writers to the mm-hmm. dead and Jerry Garcia's, uh, you know, with, you know, wrote with Jerry Garcia. Uh, or did he write with Weir too? In any case, Robert Hunter, who is like a lyricist who's worked with the dead, he did one song on Down in the Groove that I love called Silvio that I think he must like too because it's ended up on a couple like compilations. Compilations. Yeah. And it's a good tune. I love Silvio. It's like a lost gem to me. Take my future on a hell of a path. Looks like tomorrow is a coming on fast. Ain't complaining about what I've got. Seen better times, but who has not? Silvio, silver and gold. Won't buy back the beat of a hot grown cold. Silvio, I gotta go. Find out something only dead man now. This summer, uh, you've met my wife, Fran, yes, Fran. Fran, uh, I came back from a business trip on a, like Wednesday and she goes, John Mayer is playing the Hollywood Bowl Thursday night. I need, and she doesn't ever do this really. She right. goes, I have to see him. We have to go. So I, I do tweet with him and I know him mm-hmm. a little bit uh, from over the years. So I wrote a private message. Hey, can I get to see you Thursday? My wife really wants to go see you at the uh, bowl. I, tickets are arranged and that, like overnight, the next day we wake up and realize it's not a John Mayer show as my wife had was under the impression. Mm-hmm. It was Dead and Company. Okay. Now, I have a love-hate relationship with the dead, but I have some love. My wife literally does not know one song by the dead. Like, mm-hmm. And I'm saying when she went to see them and they did like Uncle John's Band, Truck, enough. Like she doesn't Nothing. know any, Not one thing. Not one thing. But she had the best time ever, A, because John Mayer was being adorable, playing guitar beautifully. And Andy from, uh, uh, what's the Bravo guy, Andy Cohen? Yes. Was, who's very important to her, spiritual leader, was in the next uh, box over from us. So if she was getting selfies with Andy Cohen all night, she thought it was a greatest show How good are these seats? You're in a box already, so I know that you're They were close. great. They were great. Great seats. Yeah, because if you don't have a good seat in the Hollywood Bowl, it's not a good venue. I, I like it, but no, but I understand. Yeah, I've, yeah, yeah. I've been at the worst seats, and uh, I remember going to see the uh, 
what is the sound of music th- sing along <laughs> with my kids and from the top seats and it was not magical for me i saw fleetwood the, mac the hills were not alive with the i saw fleetwood music. mac on their the dance tour there yeah, yeah. and we were we were so far back that by the time the it was, the music wasn't in sync with what was on the screen because by the time we got to us it was off by a couple seconds it's very strange i think that's why i prefer the greek I love the Greek. Yeah. Yeah. We've been to the Greek together. Yeah. I was just there last night to see Cheap Trick and Foreigner. Oh, how was it? Uh, it was uh, Foreigner. Okay. Look. Did they have any special, did they bring any, because I know on this tour they bring a couple of the original guys. N- not, not, I think they only did that once. I think people thought that was going to happen. All the time. All the time. Uh, Foreigner was. Did Mick show up? Because there's sometimes right when Mick doesn't even Mick's show up. there, but personally, I, he, he doesn't look, he doesn't look well to me. And he doesn't look like his heart is in it. You know what I mean? So I think this is the 40th anniversary tour. I think this is probably his last hurrah. Then he'll, he'll keep the name Foreigner. He'll let these guys continue as Foreigner, but he'll get some mailbox money. And, and the band, they sound great. It's not Foreigner. Right. It's fake Foreigner is what I call it. But they really, they were great. Oh, no, that guy, we've seen him in different situations. Yes. I, saw, I saw him on the last go around. I personally would just have gone to Cheap Trick to see Cheap Trick. Yeah, now, and Cheap would, Trick was great. Yes. But... Um, but Foreigner, they followed Cheap Trick with no problem. I mean, I mean because Foreigner, they only play the hits. They, every single song is a hit. Right. The only deep album cut that still people know is Star Rider. Right. But everything else is a hit. And um, I remember when we, were, when, we were on the, when we were on the Greatest Hits show, when they came in that day for rock and, their... Rock and Peace. Yes, Rock and Peace Greatest Hits. When they came in that day for their sound check, that Kelly Hansen... When they did Soundcheck, he was like, can I get more of this in the right channel? You know what? I'm not hearing it on the left. And he was like, I'm like, oh, my God, this guy is really in control. But not, but not in a bad way. He wasn't being a diva. He knew how they were supposed to sound. And he was saying technical terms that I've never heard in my life. There's more tissue up there if you need it, Dave. Thank you. Uh, are you crying because uh, Greatest Hits isn't I, on anymore? I, I, no, because I want to know what love is. And I want you to show <laughs> you, me. One more thing. But... Before we listen to songs on Down in the Groove, I'm looking at the people who played we've on this. Run out, we've run out of good songs on Down in the Groove. Well, I have one. Okay. It says... Like Randy Kip, Jackson. It says Kip on. Winger played bass on here. It says Bo Hill, who produced the Rat albums, plays keyboard. Now, can you make the connection between Bo Hill and Bob Dylan? Boy. Uh, I, I can't I can on the spot. Okay. This is, this is where you... That pays to know me because I'm the only one who would care about this. Yeah. In this era, Bob Dylan did a movie, one of the worst movies I've ever seen, called <laughs> Hearts of Fire. He stars in it opposite Fiona, oh, Bo who Hill was produced. Bo Hill's like, uh, muse uh, yeah, and girlfriend and he, at the time yes. or wife, I'm not sure. Yep. Uh, and Rupert Everett in a love triangle with Rupert Everett, Bob Dylan, and God. Fiona. Now, it was directed by Richard Marcon, who did you know, one of the Star Wars movies, and I was always like, what happened to Richard Marcon? And he died, like I think, right as he was making Hearts of Fire. That movie, take it, anymore. it killed him. And I actually, my embarrassing Bob Dylan story is when I was hanging out with him once, I had like a three hour session where we were brainstorming a project. It was one of the greatest days of my life. But at one point I got so comfortable with him because he was so cool. He was actually so loose and funny and great. That this at is one Bob point, Dylan. Bob Dylan. And at one point I said, I said, you know, for this thing we were talking about, I said, we could do a fight scene, like your fight scene in Hearts of Fire, like kidding him. Yeah. And he goes, what fight scene? And I went, you know, where you hit Rupert Everett? He goes, 
I said, it's like crazy. And the thing is, what's weird is that Bob Dylan became a boxer later and is apparently like a pretty good, he had a boxing gym, truth. Uh, and he used to box, he used to invite hot women to box with him. He was probably the founder. Not only, the greatest, Andy Kaufman? Not, yeah. only the, not only the greatest songwriter of all time, but also a foxy boxer with Gina Gershon. Oh, he can beat up any woman. <laughs> no, he would never beat up a woman. He's a classy gent. But... Uh, he holds his, he puts up his dukes <laughs> like this. Oh, but so at one point <laughs> he goes, he goes, what, what fight? And I go, when you threw the punch and I, I imitated him to him mm. through, I went, huh! like showing him how he punched. And I was like, I have gone one step too far yeah, in getting crossed the line you've with crossed Bob the line. Dylan, but he was cool with it. What does he order for lunch? You guys uh, had to have had lunch three hours. Some he, food was eaten. He ordered in room service. You like Fritos. <laughs> he, he ordered in room service at the hotel. Now, by the way, he lives in L.A., but he was staying in a hotel. Uh, this is where he lived. This is his residence is in L.A. No, no. He, 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 oh, he less, well, I don't want to say where he lives. Well, no. He's a, yeah, his main residence is here, but he is a mm-hmm. road dog. He spent like so much, he's, you know, the never-ending tour, they yeah. called it. But he likes hotels, and he likes to be on the road so he was doing an interview ironically with rolling stone that day came in from it and it was the greatest thing as a journalist it was like the greatest insight into how life is for rock stars icons like him because he walked in and he goes oh david fucking interviews and i went what do you mean he goes my god people still asking me why i went electric how interesting (laughs) like he had such contempt for the kind of questions i i might have asked him if i was there to interview him but i was not there to interview them. It was What's your favorite tangy taffy flavor? <laughs> oh, but he ordered, I remember he ordered some stuff. The, the memory that I do have. I'm on that, a paleo diet. <laughs> he goes, but he said, uh, you got boys now, right? Because I just had my two uh-huh. kids. They were young boys. And he goes. You had them at the same time. That's yes, pretty good. That's that, well, the way to do it. Have a litter. She had a litter. <laughs> she had a litter. Uh, I just think I just had my youngest son. Okay. who was like a baby at that point mm-hmm. or a two-year-old. And he goes, uh, you got boys now. And you know, one, one named after him. Yeah. He goes, uh, I got to get him some cookies. So he ordered down to room service and he, he got like chocolate chip cookies or yeah. black and white cookies or chocolate chip cookies. He's and six weeks him, old, Bob. <laughs> and he wrapped them in a napkin, which is, again, this is a cultural thing that you might not get, mm-hmm. but that is the ultimate old Jewish man thing to do. Like, let me get the boys some cookies and I'll get a napkin and we'll send it home. And that's what he did. <laughs> Uh, and then how were those cookies on the drive home? Because I know you, you ate those in the car. No, the amazing thing about those cookies was that uh, during the drive home, he was pitching me, ironically, mm-hmm. a, an idea for a TV project. Okay. And I did a pretty good job of acting like I understood. But I, I like I said, I think he's the greatest writer mm-hmm. of all time, bar none. And part of it is he doesn't think like other people. He, it, it's And part of it is it's non-linear. Mm-hmm. And... As a result, when he pitched something out to me as a concept, I am not smart enough or as a genius like him. So I didn't, I processed it as I was driving home with the cookies. <laughs> and when I got home, I was like, oh, that's what he meant. But that's the truth. All right. Before we move on, I have a song that I liked from Down in the Groove, and it's Let's, let's Stick Together. Well, you never miss your water, tell you Well, that's, you know, that's a classic cover, and that's one of the things he was, in this era, mm-hmm. like as 
the world is going all uh, uh, you know silly. You know, as I don't know what would have been the biggest music that year, whether it was Survivor, or Kajagugu. I'm getting lost in time. You are obsessed with Kajagugu. I wasn't. I googled them earlier, and their their website, their latest post on their website was from January 2012. Kajagugu. It said, it said our website will be down for two weeks for maintenance. <laughs> when it comes to technology, they're too shy. They're <laughs> the longest two weeks ever. Um, you, I think we missed the the window of opportunity, but we're gonna we're gonna play it. You wanted to play the song that he co-wrote yes okay in the era um this is my uh my memory is that after um when he toured with bob bob dylan toured with tom Petty and the heartbreakers this is around the time i went from esquire magazine which was my first job out of college for a year or two i moved over to rolling stone the night before i the day the day night before i went to rolling stone tickets for bob dylan and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers at Madison Square Garden went on sale. Now, were, the, were Tom Petty, were they just his backing band? How did that, how did that work? Or did they co-headline? The, no, it was, it, I mean, Tom was such a fan, he sort of treated it like it was Bob's show and they were the band okay. pretty, to a large extent. But I remember it very vividly because I was such a fan, am such a fan of both Tom yeah. Petty and the Heartbreakers and Bob Dylan. I slept out and got in a riot because it was like an all-night waiting to buy the tickets at 6 in the morning kind of thing at Madison Square Garden. Are you working for Rolling Stone at this point? This is the night before I'm working. Oh, okay. This okay. is literally the day before I'm working at Rolling Stone or the weekend before I start at Rolling Stone. So you have no clout I didn't have any point. clout. No clout. True story. Yeah. So I slept out, and then at like 3 in the morning, some people had like paid homeless to get online, and they pushed in, and there was literally a riot, and people were getting beaten up trying to get Bob Dylan tickets. The next day, or two days later, when Monday, I started Rolling Stone, I get there, and literally, someone goes around with like a cart, who wants Dylan tickets? <laughs> like I had slept out for no reason, not realizing I would have a now, lot more Now, did you take cloud. the cart tickets, because they were probably better? I don't remember that, exactly. <laughs> I would have been, yeah, but I do remember there, yeah, it was, it was, it was madness. So this song that he co-wrote with... Oh, uh, this was on the later Heartbreakers record. This is a record that is probably the least talked about or yeah, successful. I don't, I don't really like it even. I love it. It's, I, like, I like the songs I like on it, I really like, but then yeah. the ones I don't like, I hate. Well, it's another one where 80s production, you know, nothing sounds more dated than an 80s record. Like a 50s jazz recording could be done today, but an 80s like album that was trying to be in the pop world, it's like you had like... Don Henley and uh, I'd think uh, Peter Gabriel So those were like mm. Building the Perfect Beast that was like good versions of yes. those records but even those records if you go back and listen there's like a sheen that begins to be on every rock recording in the 80s mm -hmm. that sounds dated it just it's like yeah. it's like if you it's like tree rings you can just know exactly what year things were recorded which goes utterly contrary to Bob Dylan's whole sort of timeless love of music that you know, is folk music in essence that music that endures. So, but I think, case, I think Tom and Mike produced this album because coming off of Southern accents where they worked with Jimmy Iovine and Robbie Stewart, Robertson yeah. and Dave, I mean, I think they were just like, let's just do it ourselves. And a lot of people don't like it. I think it's kind of a fascinating record, but the single I always thought was fantastic. And it really came. It from, is a great song. It's Bob Dylan, Tom Petty and Mike Campbell just throwing out words about the eighties. It's kind of a, it's actually a protest song about MTV culture, as I hear it, because it has the greatest line of all time. Is it "Take back Joe Piscopo"? Piscopo. I always love that. Okay, here we go. Jamming me.
Springsteen, who I love, when he did 57 channels but nothing on, yeah. around like a little later, this is the great statement and anything that sort of gets a Joe Piscopo put down is fantastic. I think this. I think the single was so good and I don't think the album lived up to the single for me. Yeah, no, but I like, for I you like, and the rest of the world. I, I like, like Runaway it. Trains. Yeah. I like The Damage You've Done. Did it all work out? Isn't that on there? Yeah, that's good. I like Think About Me. I like All Mixed Up. I like Ain't Love Strange. But I don't like the album cover either. <laughs> you, the, you like the album cover too? I don't care about the album you cover. I tend it. to listen to the record. I really go by if the album co- how the album cover looks. And just, yeah. and I decide if I like the album. Yeah, you. I judge. I like to judge, judge a, a book by its cover. cover. Of course. All right. I mean, now that's basically what book covers are designed to do. <laughs> um, after down in the groove, we got uh, Dylan and the Dead. Which you don't like. We sort of deal with, but we sort of dealt with that with hearing Silvio, so that gets us a little of the dead. And now here we go. This is our this is our last one of the night. Oh well, mercy! No, no, no. no, no. no. Oh, well, I was I sneak I snuck in a, tw- a traveling Wilburys song. Oh yes, you did, and I um, did too. I'm sorry. So we should do that next then. Traveling yes. Wilburys. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I and Kyle maybe apologize. I apologize yeah. to you, Mike. <laughs> that I not on my game. Um, we're nervous because Mike's here. Yeah, it's very yeah. He's going to debate. You know, he's going to think what we say is debatable. Or he's going to throw us out of here like a bouncer. Exactly <laughs> on his hog. Yep, on his hog. It's not a motorcycle. It's an actual it's hog. An actual hog you rode in here. Um, so maybe you could look it up. I reviewed Traveling Wilburys and Rolling Stone, so I'd be curious if I said it in the review. The theory that's been out there about the song I'm going to play, which is one of the songs that Dylan has apparently all the from the publishing they sort of figured out who really wrote what you know because it was collaborative but all tracks by the traveling Wilburys right but I think this was Bob's song called Tweeter and the Monkey Man which has been interpreted as and I love this a parody of Springsteen Springsteen. by Bob Dylan like because it's like if you're Bob Dylan I remember around this time I did a show where they were both on a you know an event Mm -hmm. and like if you're Bob Dylan it's like Hold on. This guy, you know, it's like, because Springsteen was like very influenced by Dylan. Sure. And then at a certain point, Bruce on the same label, because he because Bob he wanted to be on Bob's label. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, John Hammond was the A&R man associated with both. So I'm sure there was a little bit of friendly competitiveness and it comes out in this song, which I love. And I got to be honest, the first time I heard this song, I, that's what I thought. I thought, oh, this is like a Springsteen song. It's because so with, with all the characters, the characters and everyone. Yeah. All right, let's hear Tweeter and the Monkey Man. Tweeter and the Monkey Man were hot up for cash. They stayed up all night selling cocaine hash. To an undercover cop who had a sister named Jan. For reasons unexplained, she loved the Monkey Man. Highway 
I mean, they hop in a car, they take a highway, there's the Jersey line. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it's a great song. Did you find the review? Yeah. Did I say anything about Tweeter and the Monkey Man? It doesn't appear that you did. Then was it good? What if you said, actually, you didn't even review it? Four stars. Four stars. I stand by it. I stand by that. That's good. Yeah. Uh, okay, did you pick a you picked a Wilburys? I did. I picked um, I picked the other one where Bob is um, has uh, the lead vocal solo, uh, which is congratulations for breaking the heart. For breaking my heart. Congratulations for tearing it all apart. Congratulations. Finally did succeed Congratulations For leaving me in need I'm sorry, that was Lucky Wilberry who's singing With no relation to no. Bob Dylan Now, let me ask you a question If if Dylan, Petty, and Jeff Lynn Decided that they were gonna Do another Wilberry's record What two people would you want to join them? And then I'll tell you who mine are. Well, I don't. I've actually thought yeah. about this because this is what I think about because I'm stupid. I'm, I think they would never do it because George Harrison was the reason it happened. Yes, true. I don't think they would do it. I've talked about it with all of them. I made a proposal at the time. This is okay. This is a crazy story. But this question is like, they're going to do it. Okay. okay. I'll tell you, but I will tell you the weird okay. thing is that I may have told you this story, but I went to Petty's house for Christmas 1991. Mm. I, you have told me this, but I don't know if you've told the listeners this. So continue. I think I have probably. I tell the story a lot. But what's your what favorite story? I was offered uh, at Christmas <laughs> to go into a room and get high with Jeff Lynn, Tom Petty, and Bob Dylan, I believe, and I said no. And I've always told my kids, if Bob Dylan, <laughs> Jeff Lynn, Tom Petty ask you to get high, you say yes. Otherwise, you say no to drugs, but that time you say yes, because I always felt I could have been a Wilbury. But if Bill Cosby asks, you say <laughs> no. Say no. Yes. Oh, but at the time, I remember thinking it should be Del Shannon uh, or Roger McGuinn. Uh, I always thought with Petty, that would be a nice way to, because there's a record, which I think is great, called Back to Earth by Roger McGuinn around this time. Yeah, it's where, got that. What's the King? King of the Hill. That's a great song. Great song. And didn't Petty produce a Del Shannon uh, like comeback album at that point? And Jeff Lynne also produced some of the Del Shannon stuff. And Is that uh, a good album? It is good. And in fact, I listened to some, there's actually, there's like, there's what it is, there's a record Petty did first, which is how he got my friend Howie Epstein. Mm-hmm. Howie, this is a story that Howie and, and Tom both told me that I find so, it's so moving because, you know, Dell was sort of on the revival oldies circuit. Yeah. And lived, you know, not on a very high level. And his band, he had taken uh, Howie, f- it was in his band. And Tom, so Tom was in the studio producing Drop Down and Get Me, I think is the name of the record, which is really good. Uh, but that was around the same time uh, that his bass player Ron Blair left the Heartbreakers, and he said, "Dell said, whatever you do, don't take don't take Howie." And he goes, "Dell, I'm taking Howie because Howie was so good and such yeah. a perfect mix, you know, blend because he sang so great and played so great. He was the best. He was a groomsman at my wedding and one of my favorite people of all time. I I don't really call that many people my friends, but he was a great friend. I I miss him to this day. The that, best. That is the story. That's the same story that Rod Stewart." Uh, told ask Mick Jagger please don't take Ronnie Wood right it is I said yeah, yeah. I've heard them tell yeah, that yeah. story I'm taking them 
<laughs> yes. Uh, so who, who, who would you like to be in? If they did it right now, because yeah. Dale Shannon's passed also. Yes. But I would say, I would say, let's get a Beatle in there. McCartney and Joe Walsh. Well, you know what's interesting about that is... What, and McCartney would be uh, Veggie Wilbury. If you, uh, there's that new book, uh, Dreaming the Beatles. I don't know if you've seen that No, book. I haven't seen that book. But there's a line in there which is very true, and from my experience, basically in the Beatles' divorce, uh, George got Bob Dylan. So it's like, okay. I, I think there's like this weird, th- and Ringo's always had a f- relationship with him, mm-hmm. but it's like George was the one who stayed, George loved, loved Bob Dylan and was influenced and they co-wrote and there's a whole history there. So I, yeah, Paul McCartney would be great. Uh, although for marketing reasons, I would suggest putting Kanye West and Taylor Swift. In the <laughs> That's true. That, that would be a you, huge deal right now. You don't think Jack White gets in on that somehow? Yeah, he, maybe, he, maybe. He like produces it or yeah. something? Yes. Uh I'm not Trent Reznor. <laughs> no, he just he doesn't like. People. Did you see Trent on uh, uh, on uh, Twin Peaks? Oh uh, yeah, I watched the clip. Yeah. Did you see the the? Uh, you didn't go see him perform, did you, Trent? On this recent? No, days? I was I was going to, and then I didn't because uh, it was at a festival. I worked on the Defiant ones, this you know, which came out yeah, yeah. recently, and at the premiere, uh, like I worked uh, in the last couple of years with Trent, and he's the. He's as great. He's the greatest guy. He's literally the best guy. He's such a genius, creative, and interesting guy. So smart, and like my wife, we sat on the same other side of the row, and I didn't want to say hello to everyone at all. I'm right. actually shy in those circumstances. But I was like, let's go say hi to Trent because Trent Reznor doesn't want to say hello to you, and I'm like, no, no, Trent wants to say hello to me, <laughs> and. And just being polite, of course, when I went over, we, we talked at the party and he goes, David, I'm so glad you said hello. And I said, look, see, <laughs> Trent Reznor is very happy to talk to you. I'm not sure he was that happy. Uh, I think my wife's projecting. She's not that happy to talk to me. Well, she's stuck with you now. The kids are gone. In an empty nest. Yep. She's got to talk to you. <laughs> you have a dog, right? No, we do not. You don't? We're thinking of getting one. You should get one. Yes. Name it after, a, uh, name it Silvio. <laughs> exactly. You get a dog. Okay, we're on to Oh Mercy, produced by Daniel Lenoir. Maybe the Dylan album I listen to the most. My, I, I think it's, you know, it's right up there to me with all the classics. It, it's up there with Blood on the Tracks. It's up there with Blonde on Blonde. It's just a masterpiece, I think. And just let me throw this out there. Cool album cover. Uh, so out of all the ones today, Oh Mercy first, and then Infidel, Infidel second. second, and then Empire Burlesque. Yes, but but I would go, I cheat, go one year early and get Slow Train to come in there too. So. Okay, okay. Uh, I know you have a couple off O Mercy, so you go. You know what? Before we do this, though, if you don't mind, I want to. Uh, what is my thing that I have to say? Everyone, I don't have to say it. Yeah, I do have to say it. David, let me tell you something. Okay. Oh, by, I, I'm hearing this through these amazing headphones. Yeah, aren't they? Are they? Are those comfortable? I. Forgot I was wearing headphones. Isn't that amazing? Other I than forgot it sounds it, better than life itself. Other than when I look at you, I'm, I'm, something's not quite right. And then I see that it, you're wearing headphones. This episode of the Rock Solid Podcast was brought to you by Bose, the engineers behind some of the world's best audio products, including the Bose Quiet Comfort 35 noise canceling headphones. We're all wearing them. Last time you were here, Mike, you you had uh, you had Bose on, but you didn't have these. Are these better? Just shake. Thumbs up. Okay. Now, David, Bose literally invented the technology of noise canceling almost 40 years ago. We were teenagers at that point. No joke. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know if you want an unsolicited ad, sure. but I recently was wearing something else a couple of years ago, and a sound 
engineer on a big TV event said, take those off your ears. You're going to destroy them. Put on Bose. Get some Bose headphones. And I bought Bose pet headphones, and I, my, I think my hearing has been saved because it's not so bassy as some other options. And it's a way, if you love music, you should be hearing it the way the artist intended. So I think if you're, especially Bob Dylan, if you want to hear him, every nasal moment of him, every brilliant <laughs> inflection and every perverse reading of a lyric, you want to be wearing the best. You know, and Bose, they believe that by blocking out unwanted sounds and distractions, you can get immersed in what you truly love. My wife considers me an unwanted sound. <laughs> she probably has a pair. She wears this at all, all the time. time. Exactly. Even when it's not hooked up to something, she just flicks on the noise canceling and walks in around. Private, the house. intimate moments. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> not with me. Don't worry. All on air talent at Rock Solid Podcast. Use the Bose Quiet Comfort Thirty Five headphones during our recording because we want to hear what you're going to hear. Bose, get closer. Bose knows. Now back to no, Bo. That was Bo. That's Bo Jackson. Bo's nose. What if they? What if Bo's someone, nose headphones? What if someone tried to pitch that? How about Bo's nose? We get Bo Jackson in here. Yeah. There's no way they haven't been pitched that. Oh, <laughs> uh, and to that I say, Oh mercy. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. What's your first song off of Oh Mercy? I think the first single uh, off of uh, Oh Mercy. It's still to me one of the definitive Dylan songs because I think it's his worldview. I think the song is called Everything's Bro Everything's Broken and I think this is really what he thought of the 80s. That's why I wanted to pick it first. To me, it sums up that when he was looking around the world, I think he saw a broken place and this song is a perfect rockin' expression of that. Broken lives, broken strings, broken dreads, Broken springs, broken idols, broken heads, people sleeping in broken beds. Ain't no use driving, ain't no use joking. Everything is broken. Broken bottles, broken plates, broken switches. Broken gates, broken dishes, broken parts, streets are filled with broken hearts, broken words, never meant to be spoken, everything is broken, how good is this, that sounds so good, it's like, it almost is like, uh, like a great Creedence song. It's got that swamp thing, but part of it is, even though he, if you read Chronicles or you read even what interviews with Daniel Lanois, the producer on this record was Daniel Lanois, who'd worked with Peter Gabriel, who'd worked with, you know, and would have his own solo career, U2. And they were fantastic together. That said, apparently it was a real struggle. Like, because here Bob Dylan was, you know, there were times when he was trying to meet somewhere in the middle, but here he had a producer who really did have, you know, a sound that mm -hmm. he wanted to get with him and wanted to, you know, evoke all this sort of deep roots that they both share. Like, uh, I actually went to his studio, Lanois, around this time in New Orleans. Uh, it was an amazing place. He was working with an artist, Chris Whitley, who I don't know if you've ever heard of. Yeah, I've heard of He's a country artist. No, different guy. Uh, this guy was like a roots junkie genius. Yeah, uh, to me, that's country. <laughs> <laughs> you listen to a song. If you, we could, you, you check out a song called "Poison Girl" by uh, 
Chris Whitley. You will love it. But poison. Girl. Uh, in a, uh, but I was around Landwall Studio. It was ultimate kind of Dylan-y vibe place. It was fantastic. But they struggled to make this record. And, you know, just like with Knopfler, there was a lot of, I, I think, butting heads because Dylan mm-hmm. just has a natural tendency not to want to be given too much production. I think he's very suspicious of it. In the end, it worked out pure masterpiece. The only thing I don't like about this record is that they left off at least one song that's one of the highlights that came out later that's another song I'll play in a minute. Uh, but I love this record. And uh, and this wasn't this wasn't a co-production. This is Daniel Lenoir has f- the only producer credit. It doesn't say Daniel Lenoir and Bob Dylan. It just says Daniel Lenoir. Yeah, I think that didn't mean Bob didn't, you know, yeah, fight. Sure. I think Bob is, you know, he's an artist and he doesn't want to give in. And I listen, I think Lanois clearly worships Dylan. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like he was being disrespectful. I just think there's like a discomfort with, you know, being captured. I think that's what record recordings are, capturing an artist. And there's some natural tendency in Dylan to make it about the live performance. Like, I think he's very comfortable going out and playing for people, but there's something about the act of recording that he doesn't like it to be too precious. And they never work together again. Uh, no, they, uh, well, he worked with like his engineer, I think on Time mm-hmm. Out of Mind. Uh, I, you know what, I, I, we should check. I think Dan Lanois was still involved in Time Out of Mind okay. or his engineer, his team did it. Mike's shaking his head, yeah. You think so? Um, we should check that. Now, you know, you know what I did while you were uh, talking? <laughs> Which I tend to do. First, I stopped listening. No, <laughs> I uh, I went to uh, I went to Amazon and I bought this album. Oh, you don't have this album? No, oh, I don't. Ha- I don't have any. I don't really have. I have like um, I have Desire and I have Blood on the Tracks, but I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't have a lot of Dylan stuff. But six ninety nine, six ninety nine. Everyone, go out and buy this yeah, record. Go. It's a classic. Yeah, what do you Daniel Lenoir produced Time Out of Mind. He, oh, he did produce it. Yeah. All right. Good. And I was wrong again. Thank you. Uh, I'm and then, and then after that, Jack Frost started nipping at the uh, mm-hmm. production credit. This was an association with Jack Frost. That's Bob so. Dylan. That's his, he's, that's like his Glimmer Twins pseudonym. It's but, not Michael Keaton? No, it's not Michael Keaton. <laughs> what a wonderful film. George Clooney turned that down. And then they went with the other Batman. It's true. <laughs> Kyle's been lying in wait with that <laughs> I know. Jack Frost joke. I went with the uh, the song that opens up the album, Political World. This album's on the short side, too. 38 we minutes. Live in a political world. Love don't have any place. We live in time for men commit crimes. And crime don't have a face. We live in a political world. Icicles hanging down. Wedding bells ring and angels sing. We live in a political world. Wisdom is thrown in the jail. It rocks in a cell. It's not it as hell. Even no one to pick up the trail. We live in a political world. Great tune, also. The album's full of great tunes. We, do you want me to play one or two of the other songs from this, or um, from the sessions? Here's what we'll do. We're gonna play, you're going to play one, we're going to promote, and then the other one we're going to use as our play-out song. So you decide which song you want it to play out with. Um, uh, let's play first the one that was a leftover, apparently something that 
that discomfort with Lanois that played out where mm -hmm. I think it was too good. It's like one of those things that I've had artists go, yeah, there was one that was too good. I got to keep it off. So it eventually it's, uh, you know, it, 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 it came back to, to surface, but series of dreams, uh, is a masterpiece and kind of a, to me, a major Dylan song. Of a series of dreams Where nothing Comes up to the top Everything Stays down but it's wounded And comes To a permanent start you look at the video for this song online it's like imagery from all of dylan's life and career like made into one video and it's like that sort of it sort of goes from one era to another it's a great video i think his discomfort with some of the production of this is it sounds a little too much like a springsteen song of the era it has it's like i think that's you know what he and it does. I it, it definitely sounds like something. It like has that. like a I'm on fireish mm -hmm. era kind of. There's something that, and again, I think that's just as likely that Bruce got it from Bob, but then Bob was cautious about ever sounding like that. Yeah, one of the places you can find that song is on Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits Volume Three, because I actually did have this song. I didn't have to buy that one. Cool. All right, here we go. Kyle, you're at Kyle Dotson Funny. Uh, how's that website coming along? Do you think it's going to drop when this episode? You think when I'm talking when this episode drops? Do you think the website's going to be ready? Yeah, you do. Yeah, I, I yeah. The first two seasons might not be up, but everything else will be up. No pressure. Everything. Yeah, everything. Now, do you will be think ready the Kajagugu site will be back up when <laughs> uh, this episode drops? Yeah, you're rivaling Ka Kajagugu. Yeah, I mean it's only been it hasn't been five years. No, that's true. Hold on. When is this going to drop? This is going to drop. Tomorrow? No. No. <laughs> this will drop uh, September 21st. Okay. Oh, yeah. Then I'll promote uh, on PBS, watch the Grammy Salute to Music Legends, October. I got to look at my own Twitter feed to figure out when it's on. You go, you go talk and I'll tell you when it's on. I am at Pat underscore Francis. We are at Rock Solid Show. Uh, you're at, at Beats. B-I-E-T-Z. That's it. At Beats. Uh, Patreon page is patreon.com forward slash rock solid podcast. That's the best place to support the show. If you'd like to $2 tier, $5 tier. We, we follow you on Twitter. You're in the ASAP club, which means you get the episodes immediately. What tier am I on? You're in the gold platinum tier. Oh, good. Uh, is he surfing with Murray? <laughs> <laughs> October 13th. October on 13th. PBS. It's my daughter. It's my youngest daughter's birthday. It's a Friday. It's a Sammy really great show. Birthday. Paul Schaefer hosted. It's what? What'd you say? Sammy Hagar's birthday. It is Sammy Hagar's birthday. Is that a right. national holiday? It should be. Yes. It's celebrated at Cabo Wabo. Have yourself a margarita. Sammy doesn't write or call a after wabarita. a song on the show. We, no. Nope. no. I, I did get some booze, I think, at one point. <laughs> um, sorry, who's on the show? You were promoting. Yes, right? I'm sorry. We talked over you. Um, it's a tribute to, well, the Velvet Underground, the surviving members reunite, which is really cool. Paul Schaefer hosts it. We honor... Uh, Sly Stone, Nina Simone, uh, uh, and Tom Bell, the great producer, 
it's it's a really good eclectic show. It's basically where we honor our lifetime achievement awards and other sort of special honorees from the Grammys. But we used to do it like around the Grammys, but now we do it as its own special event. And why is that on PBS and not on CBS? Because PBS has always wanted to be involved with the Grammys, okay. the Recording Academy, and this was a show that was not a TV event. So uh, CBS was gracious enough to allow this to become a different sort of PBS event. All it's, right. it's not as much of a ratings getter because mm-hmm. it's very eclectic, and uh, but it's it's a great event in its own right. I love doing it. On Twitter, you are at Wild About Music. I am. You don't have a website. No. If you want Kyle to build you one, it'll take about four years. <laughs> exactly. Just uh, go to Kaja Google. I'm, I'm, I'm bidding on Kaja Google <laughs> for, the web, for the website. So. If I would I, if I had one, it would be kajajuju.com. That's what I would want. Hop on and buy davidwild.com. If he ever wants it, then we'll hold him for ransom. <laughs> Do you think that's available? What I think there, there's a. What if there is one? Ironically, there's a guy named David Wild who was a jazz critic Doesn't in the exist. 80s, and he used to have a site if, where it literally. When you went to his place, it said, I am not the David Wilde who <laughs> wrote the Friends book and writes at Rolling Stone. And occasionally I would get like a, there was one time when I got an offer to write some liner notes and he goes, I think this is for you. He forwarded it to me. I think he hates, I think so he mad. hates, yeah. And then there's a David Wilde who made films with uh, the talking heads. Like when you go look at true stories or any of those, there was a guy who worked on all their videos named David Wilde. And at one point, I got a call from Julio Iglesias saying, I would like you to make a movie about tango with me. And I said, I think you want the other David Wilde. He goes, no, no, I want you. <laughs> and so, and, and then so you so gave him that, that guy's... that movie coming out? It came out. <laughs> then you gave him that other guy's email address. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the guy got so mad. What? <laughs> this is unsolicited. Uh, this new documentary called Hired Gun is a great documentary. They got, they got music rights. They got... Uh, They've got rights across the board. It's really put together nicely. And there's Steve Lukather and Kenny Aronoff, who've both been on this show. And it's, it's just a really, really great documentary. I loved it. I didn't get right, to see it yet. I've heard about it. Right up my alley. Yes, I, I yeah. thought it was so cool. And, um, okay, that's but you it. Did, but you didn't watch The Defiant ones? No, but it's on my... I, I taped it. Oh, thanks a lot. Oh, thanks for I didn't taping know, I didn't know that you were, um, I didn't know that you were involved in that. Well, why don't you look at I'm, the credits a little closer? <laughs> He that's what I do. I, rec- I record a lot of stuff and, and then just, just buzz through the credits. That's like my, what, that's what, my hippest credit. What's your year. credit? What's your credit on there? What, what do you list it as? Creative, Creative consultant. consultant. That's a great credit because you just, uh, they, you know, we know what that means. No, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't mean anything like that. Uh, no, we, we I'm, know. I'm really proud of it. I love it. Uh, no, everyone tells me it's amazing. Yeah. And no, you, it's one of the things where the Alan, uh, Alan Hughes, who you should have on the show, who directed it, who's great. Is he one of the Hughes, Hughes brothers? brothers? Yes. He's, okay. He's my favorite of the Hughes brothers. Uh, <laughs> Are they twins? Uh, I, listen, I don't get into their personal thing. <laughs> uh, but he called me in uh, early on, and it's one of the only times... You know what it's like. You do these projects, and they rarely are come out better than you expect. Right, right, right. Especially when they take years. But literally, like, we had... My involvement was like a series of conversations and writing questions for the interviews nice. and then sitting in the edit room and helping him try to figure out the story. Everything came out much better than I ever could have expected because, and it's one thing I learned, it's great to work with that actual director who has a visual flair. Yeah. It's one of the things that people love. Did you see it at all? No. One, it's visually so exciting. Like my wife and I went to the premiere and she was like, 
I don't know if I'm going to like this. She And she went, <laughs> she goes, that's kicked ass. That was fantastic. And also, I didn't know. Did they show the whole thing or just one episode? They showed the one pre- episode okay. at the premiere. And also, when my credit came up, it was like more prominent than I was expecting. So I was, nice. I, like, I, I was too shy to go, you guys didn't forget my credit, did you? Because I saw it in an yeah. edit without credits. Yeah, yeah. And then I was like, yes. I, you know, some, there's times when was you it don't solo, want your credit. Was it a solo on screen credit? No, it was, it was me, Nelson, George, and one other guy. We were the three... Creative Cool. I love it. Well, I'll watch it. Did you watch it, Mike? Yeah. Mike. Kyle, have you seen it? Uh, I watched the Trent Reznor episode, but I, I want to watch the whole thing. All right. Well, Trent Reznor's also uh, talked about in Hired Gun. Oh, I'm not cool. saying Hired Gun is on par with your amazing thing. And you know that Trent Reznor plays in the movie, the Michael J. Fox movie, uh, uh, Light of Day, the Paul Schrader, who directed uh, Tight Connection to My Heart video, directed Light of Day yes. with Trent J- Reznor as... Joan Jett. Yes, but you know, Trent's in the band in that movie. Really? Did you know that, Kyle? <laughs> I don't think I did know look, that. Look it up. Am I wrong? I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm right. Oh, and they play a Springsteen song, Springsteen song Light, Light of, of day. day. Oh, yeah. Here he is playing the keyboards. Yeah. What's he look like? Scrawny kid? Stitch short hair. It's a bad picture, but that's him right there. Yeah, could you get a smaller picture to show me? <laughs> there's like a there's like a tiny profile Twitter picture you showed. How long me. is this episode? Literally, it's the not size that of long. How long is this episode? Hour forty two. It would have yeah, been shorter, but Mike wouldn't shut up. Mike, stop it. Okay, what's your playout song? My playout. Thank song. you for being here. No, thank you for having me here. It's been too long. Uh, can I switch my playout song from because it's one that's on a list? It's on the on my original yeah. list, I'd like to. I was instead. I was going to play one of the other Oh Mercy songs, but I want you to just buy Oh Mercy because everything is good. I, was I gonna just play, did. I just bought yeah, it. Well, what it, was it? I was going to play. What was it you wanted? Which Willie Nelson did a cool version of once, but instead I'm going to play this song that no one remembers that I think is another lost masterpiece. Okay, this is uh, from Shot of Love called In the Summertime. It's a romantic, idyllic love song to me. Go by Bob Dylan music and a memory. Uh, Going into this, I thought I thought it was going to be a struggle, and I I loved every song that we played tonight. I think it's a great. This is great stuff. It's no, I I I think people thought you mean it ironically when you say I love this music. This is you sometimes have to find the gems, mm-hmm. but they're there. Yeah, this is. I can't wait to hear this. Oh mercy, from top to bottom, this oh. is going to be great. Thank you, Kyle. Yep. Thank you, Dave. Thank oh you, Mike. mercy. Where the sun never set, where the trees hung low By that soft and shining sea Did you respect me for what I did Or for what I didn't do Or for keeping it here Did I lose my mind when I tried to get rid Of everything you see In the summertime